It's hard to believe we're already through the first month of 2019. Time flies when you're having fun, or it seems to me it goes faster and faster the older I get. We've had a lot going on at the chocolate shop in the last few weeks, and we have a lot more coming your way as the spring gets closer. Currently, our latest bar is our strawberry white chocolate covered in our Fiji taken down to 70%. It's our version of a chocolate-covered strawberry. You can find that on our website as well as some of our wholesale partners that are in the area, so make sure to check our website for those and feel free to email us with any questions. We have a couple new bars coming your way. Um, most recent one will be a coffee collaboration bar that we did with Salt City Coffee Roasters here in Syracuse, New York. That's a really wonderful bar, and I think you'll all enjoy that as well. So make sure to visit our website, www.nostalgiachocolates.com, and you can check out all of the bars listed there or find us on Instagram, at Nostalgia Chocolates. Okay, on to this week's episode. I got to sit down with good friends of mine, John Timmerman and Lindsay, formerly Dylan, now Timmerman as well. They got married since this episode aired. It's a little bit of a longer episode, but I think you'll enjoy every minute of it. John and Lindsay started a blue jean company based on the shape of fit bodies. As someone who goes to CrossFit classes six to seven days a week, I can speak to the struggle I find uh, to find pants that fit. My thighs are bigger, butts are bigger, people are just fit. But these jeans are not just for the fit people, they're for everybody. It's quite a story they have, all of their different backgrounds and what led them to each other and to start their company, Jackson Jovi. They fixed a problem for a lot of us fit people and for other people looking for super comfortable jeans with a little bit of give. So two people with no background in the clothing industry, aside from wearing clothes, started a great company. And it's a really neat story and you'll enjoy it. From design to R&D to doing the distressing live in front of their customers, these two bust their butts. It's neat to hear what brought them together and created this business. They both work other full-time jobs. John runs a marketing company called Good Monster, and Lindsay works in the social work field. But they do all of their extra time ordering material, fulfilling client orders, and getting everybody's apparel packaged and ready to ship. So make sure to visit their website when the episode's done, www.jjforthepeople.com, and make sure to follow them on Instagram, at Jackson Jovi. Share their story via social media and this podcast with your friends and family, and enjoy this episode. founders of Jackson Jovi, the jean company for people with big butts who right. can't fit into normal jeans, which I'm right. a victim of myself, but um, as well as many other things. So I'm excited to have them both here. Um, I know I knew John a little better than Lindsay, but I'm excited to hear her story, what brought them together, and what it's like as a um, soon-to-be-married couple going into business together. So welcome, guys. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having for us. For sure, for sure. So as I was kind of getting myself together today to prepare for this, I was like, man, where do you, where do you start? There's so many different places to start. But I guess what I kept coming back to was 
where does let's just start where does the idea come from to start a gene company and either one of you go ahead i think that's a great question to start with that i don't know if we quite have the answer but we at least know our version okay then we'll give it to you (laughs) Yeah. yeah so i have this distinct memory um, you know, this is this is like two, two and a half years ago, right? Mm-hmm. And I had, you know, we know each other through the CrossFit gym that we go to, CrossFit Syracuse. And, um, you know, I was about a year into CrossFit, but my whole entire background is athletics. And I was a strength and conditioning coach for about eight years. And I've always been into fitness. But when I started CrossFit, <clears throat> my thighs, my butt, it all started to grow. As you said, yeah, you back know, squatting's a double-edged sword. You're a victim of, right? <laughs> yeah. So, I re- I have this distinct memory of walking into Lindsay and I's new house, and I was like, I can't fit into my jeans anymore. You know, I just had some Levi's, and I I, I love jeans. I've always been a big yeah. jeans guy. I wear them every day. I just cycle through like the same couple of pairs, and I love them. And uh, I was like, I can't fit into my jeans anymore, and you know, Lindsay, I said that a few times maybe, and Lindsay was like, um, yeah, I mean, you know, you're, you're getting bigger, your, your thighs are growing. It's like, man, somebody should just start a gene company for athletes, you know, get a, get a little room in there. And she's like, yeah, you should. <laughs> and that's like my distinct memory of like where it all actually started. Yeah. Like, was, why don't, why don't you do it? Yeah. He was like, oh. And then, yeah. <laughs> you know. The rest, maybe we'll talk about it or not, but it's history. I mean, that was like the first little spark of, Yeah. okay, this is a relatively untapped. I mean, there's some companies out there making athletic fit denim. Sure. But nobody's really going all in on it. Yeah, it's kind of like most um, smaller clothing companies in the CrossFit world where it's kind of um, it's kind of become a niche thing where you've got the Nikes and the Adidases who make the general fitness clothing, you know, the running and... You know, and they claim to make weightlifting clothing and stuff like that, mm-hmm. but it doesn't really hold up to kind of the the rigors that we put it through in a sport like CrossFit. Yeah. And then you got the weightlifting clothing, but that's also kind of different because again, weightlifting is not as um, um, cardio taxing yeah, combined. Combined, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So it's a very niche market and. I've only heard of, I think, maybe two other companies. There's one in Hartford, I think, who does that. And then I think there might be one other one. But mm-hmm. but even still, I mean, jeans are, jeans are jeans. And you're competing against not only the, the Lees and the Levi's, but also the Sevens and the Citizens and mm-hmm. Lord knows how many other brands are out there. Now, they don't, certainly, because those are the – I have to be very careful with those – I have to buy a big waist so that my thighs fit into it, and then I have to cinch the belt up. But, yeah. I mean, for people, and I've interviewed a few people, oddly enough, in the clothing industry at various levels, whether it be um, Cliff at American Reserve or Dan Tagliamonti, who owns C-Brand, which um, was Leeway Clothing, um, and they're just – Dan's focus is like T-shirts and hats and stuff like that. But when you don't – I always just think of people going into that business – as people who went to like FIT or RISD or someplace where you come out and you're like, oh, sure, the scientific equation for making a pair of jeans is, you know, denim plus thread plus fit equals, but 
You mean we weren't supposed to be a personal trainer <laughs> and, a, and a therapist that started a gene company? That's well, not that's how it works? Not typically the recipe. <laughs> I don't know because I haven't interviewed those people, but in my mind, no. So, I mean, but that's like for me and somebody who is kind of in the last six months or so become a person who's kind of exploring like, well, you know, in my mind, is there something that I could do, which is kind of where this podcast stemmed from. I'm always interested to know, like, fine, you have this idea, but it's one thing to have an idea. I've got a lot of ideas. Most of them stink. But then you actually do it and you make it happen. So what were the steps that you go from, okay, you can, you should do it. That's one thing to say it, but then the next day to have your design and your fabric and your manufacturer. Where, where did you even begin to start to do that? Google? The internet. Okay. Yeah. Pretty much. I mean, you know, it's it. I have a very entrepreneurial mind, and, anyways. And I want to get there in a second, so I'll don't go too things. far down that road because yeah. that's that's where I'm going to go with yeah. this next. But. So with that, my mind automatically, when she said that, like, oh, you should do that, my mind automatically goes to, okay, what are the steps that need to be, like, what what has to ha- has to happen next? And I always default to how much information can I get? Well, and you got really curious and said, well, well, that's that's a good point. There. Maybe there already is, and I just don't know about that company. Maybe there's a company out there yeah. that's already doing that and, and tailoring, you know, or providing a product for this specific demographic or this market, you know, for, for people that are really fit, but they have bigger proportion sizes. Um, and the more that you went to this little site called Google, there <laughs> <laughs> wasn't nearly as much, there was a huge void. And the more that you looked into it, the more it was like, wow, there really isn't, There's a, and there's a, clearly a huge need. You know, like, obviously with weightlifters and proportion sizes, whether it's back squatting or burpees or, you know, whatever it kind of leads you to there, especially for the girl side, when you have a waist that's a lot smaller than your hips and butt and thighs, mm. like you said, you end up buying up a size and then just to fit certain parts, right. but then it's massively too big in other parts, and the more that we looked into that, the more we just kept thinking, like, this is a significant problem for a lot of people. Um, if there's not something out there to correct this, then maybe we should just make it ourselves. And if for nobody else, then at least for us. Like, let's correct our own problem. At least we'll have the most badass pair of jeans ever for ourselves. Right. <laughs> now, yeah. you, um, I guess my question was a little bit premature because, because of the point that you just made, John, about having the entrepreneurial mind answering that question for Jackson Jovi might be a little bit cheating. So let's back up now. You graduate from Cortland mm-hmm. and you decide you want to get into the fitness world. Yep. Strength and conditioning. Yep. Now you started working for somebody else, yep. but then you started your own project. Mm-hmm. So let's go back to your thought process during mm-hmm. that time when you're a young kid and you're just getting out, trying to make a living, support yourself and, What's your thought process with um, your first – explain your first kind of business venture on your own and what was your thought process during that time and where did you what, – at what point were you like, yeah, I can do this or were you never there? So there's a few questions in there and it, answer them however you want. It was all about opportunity and, and recognizing it. I mean you hear this on a lot of different interviews of people saying like, you know, luck is kind of just you recognizing an opportunity – um, and that's exactly what, what it was for me. I, I did, I graduated school, <clears throat> got a job, 
down in Richmond, Virginia at a brand new strength and conditioning facility. It wasn't even open yet. I was hired on as the assistant strength and conditioning coach. And it was a great opportunity for me. I was pumped about it. Went down there, worked, and then got offered by a very successful businessman to personal train him one-on-one outside of the parameters of the strength and conditioning facility and program that I was uh, helping to manage. And he had very specific requirements. This is a a gentleman (coughs) called, his name was Frank Easterly. And he was, uh, he, he basically invented the special coating that goes on oil tankers and rigs and other things too that keep it from corroding. So this is a guy flying all over the world, all these different countries, so he had a high demand on his schedule and wanted to have a personal trainer that legit was available whenever he wanted. And that was his kind of parameters is that he's like, I want a personal trainer. I want to be able to call you anytime I land or before I take off and like you jump. Like if you're in town, obviously, if you're you know on vacation or something like that. But if you're in town and, and uh, you know you don't have something else going on, I want you to do it. So I was like, Okay, cool. I'm young. You know, I don't have really anything that's that will would would keep me from doing that. And so that kind of fell into my lap right there. You know, it was doing what I was already trained to do. And then I basically, you know, and maybe this is where the the business mind, which I don't even know where it came from. I guess I was born kind of with this thought process, but I went to the gym that I was working at, the fitness facility, and I just said, "Hey, you know, um I had this guy, he, he wants me to do personal training with him. And, you know, I'd like to just, I'd like to launch my own personal training company in order to do this, but then I'll pay you rent to use the facility. And they were like, they were really cool guys that owned it. They were like, you know what? This is kind of a one-off thing anyways, just use the facility. We don't care. Like we're, you're still doing training our athletes and everything like that. So I didn't even have to do that. And so I was like, okay, cool. Uh, so I just started training him out of there. And that was the first kind of opportunity that opened up the rest of my entrepreneurial life because then I started to think like a business person and I started to identify opportunities and look at things like, oh, my jeans don't fit my thighs anymore, you know, and recognize that opportunity as something to look into further uh, as a way to grow a business. Uh, luckily, Frank, also being the businessman he was, during those personal training sessions, I, uh, I convinced him to basically be my teacher. You know, So yes, he was paying me to train him, but I also got some free business lessons out of each of those training sessions as well. So he helped me kind of understand the more um, logistical side of the business, you know, funding, financing, uh, paying freelance, like all of this stuff that I was just, you know, had no idea about. So Okay. Yeah. And then, but there was a business that grew out of that also, correct? Yeah, so it was called The New Fit. And I got that name because I had just read Tim Ferriss' 20-Hour Workweek. Just came out with it, um, uh, which then launched his career. And he called it The New Rich in that book. And I'm not sure if you've read it or not, but but The New Rich basically is like this new idea that it's not just about making $100 million, but like building a better life. So the... uh, I say twenty hour work week. I'm at four. Four hour work week. If I said twenty. You did. That's okay. The four hour work week. Twenty's still better than forty. Twenty's so. still better than forty. But yeah, the four hour work week. And so he was say, basically saying that this is the new rich is getting a life where you can kind of do whatever you want and still be still have some support. 
And so I called this the new fit because um, I the internet was around, but it was just social media was growing and Facebook had just launched and Twitter was becoming more popular and YouTube. And, and so I started an online personal training company and called it the new fit because this was the new way to get fit. You could get fit if you were in Japan or uh, New York or Bangladesh or Africa or didn't, you know, wherever there was internet and you could get access. This was the new way to do it. And I was right. I was just kind of too young and dumb to, to keep that going because it was really a couple of years, maybe more than that, before getting fit over the internet really became massive to where today. So, how long did you have that business? Uh, about a year and a half. And at what point did you say this? Like, why did you stop doing that? What was the reasoning? Um, and also, was there a large investment for you up front when you decided to take the leap and start that business? Yeah. I mean, there didn't need to be, but I spent a lot of money on the website. Okay. I spent way more than I needed to. Um, That's before there were easy website development. Exactly. Companies. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I hired a firm to do it for like 20, upward, more than $20,000. Oh, wow. And it was uh, it was a great website at the time. Very functional. People had, pro, you know, you go in there and it's very dynamic and everything. But um, <clears throat> but the, uh, the recession hit about a year later. In 2008. Yep. And... Most of my clients, in-person clients, I had grown my personal training business in Richmond, in-person business okay. as well. Most of my clients were wealthy-ish politicians because Richmond's the capital, mm-hmm. and they were freaking out and basically pulled all of their, hmm. you know, exorbitant or extracurricular yeah. type financial activities, and I was one of them. And so I didn't really freak out. I just kind of used that as an opportunity to be like, huh, is there anything else I want to do? And uh, I ended up moving back here to Syracuse, thought I wanted to be a doctor, went back to uh, pre-med to get a few courses before I applied to medical school, um, it, you know, and then and decided I didn't want to do that and kind of fumbled around for a little bit before I ended up starting another company. Okay. And Lindsay, what had you been doing? Because, I mean, you guys had know each other then. Right. So, yeah. so give a little bit of background of kind of where you come because you're I mean albeit you haven't had you haven't started other businesses like John has but you are part of this venture which takes an entrepreneurial spirit and a willingness to take a lot of risk yeah so give a little background on where you've been and then we'll meet kind of sure yeah yeah so um I kind of grew up with only ever really knowing what I didn't want to do and then only ever finally settled a little bit on what I did want to do, which was to try to help people, which doesn't really mean very much outside of a context, right? Because you can help people in lots of ways. What were the things you didn't want to do? So just like from negative experiences or things that I just mostly didn't like with subjects in school, like I absolutely hated history. So I decided like real early, like I'm never being a history teacher. Okay. Or I had kind of thought, well, I hate history so much, so maybe I should do the exact opposite, which is to go and be a history teacher so that no kid ever experiences what I did, okay. just to try to help people. It's just, a glass is half full kind of yeah. kind of, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like pretty extreme, not yeah. necessarily sustainable. But um, So anyways, I had ended up deciding that I wanted to, I really liked working with kids. I liked learning about them, so taking all those courses in college was at least interesting and I was excited to do the readings and things like that. So um, I also ended up taking a few uh, classes in undergrad for counseling. And Mm. so 
I had gotten, you know, an undergrad degree in um, human development, which is like a sister, uh, at least major, to psychology. Um, and then I thought that I was going to help be a child life specialist and help kids when they go into the hospital setting, um, kind of as a liaison and, and medical therapy and things like that. Um, but that's a pretty limited field, and I wanted a little bit more job security. And in case I ever changed my mind, I wanted to kind of branch out a little bit. So I switched to um, a master's degree in, um, or during the master's program, I switched to uh, counseling. And so I decided I was going to go and get my master's degree to be a therapist. And I got out of grad school and did that for a few years. And um, then I was promoted to being a director. And so now I kind of supervise the program. Um, but I think the bigger thing that kind of led me um, to this company and how it kind of brings us together, what you were just kind of speaking to, is I've always kind of taken on challenges. And John sometimes teases me about this. But when I take on a challenge, like I will not quit until I master it. Like I will not let myself move on to something else until I dominate the first thing. So give so. us an example. So I... Um, Aside from Jackson Jody. Yeah, yeah. so I... Which she's currently dominating. <laughs> yeah, it seems that way. <laughs> Other than that. Um, so I had run a few 5Ks when I was younger um, and then decided, well, I could go competitive two ways. I could either start extending my length or I could try to run faster. And usually my personality is to lean toward, when I first think of something, usually I have a, a very strong adverse reaction to, that's terrifying, that seems like it's not a good idea. And then when I think about it, it's, well, if it's not a good idea and if it makes you nervous, sometimes it's nervous in a good way because it's going to challenge you and excite you. And other times it's maybe something that you should be careful of before you pursue. So after I had run some 5Ks, I thought, well, let me just see if I can run a little bit further and decided to sign myself up for a 10K and thought, all right, let's see if that's possible. Because I could never have imagined running anything longer than a 10K. I didn't even know if I would survive that. And so the first time that I ran six miles in a training run, I thought, okay, it's possible. I'm going to run a half marathon. I've got big goals. I want to run a few half marathons. And so I ran my first 10K and I was terrified to try to run the half marathon and thought there's a good chance I'll just pass out from being so nervous because I when I find a challenge I have very high expectations for myself and just surviving is never good enough you need to you know set your sights high and be successful and you're not going to quit until that happens so um, I've run my the example outside of uh, Jackson Jovi is that I dominated my first uh, half marathon mostly with just survival it was not great. I was very nervous before. I don't even think I trained for like two weeks before because I was just trying to put it off and avoid it. So not a great time. But I have my second half marathon coming this summer, and I'm actively training. And, you know, sometimes you have to do things that scare you, but it's like the best way to just face your fears and go for it. What's yeah. the worst that's going to happen? You're going to fail. Well, sometimes that's okay. Sometimes that's when you learn. Now, what's been your experience with, like, anything that, you've failed at because and I guess where does the where does that drive of a way to look at things like you know we look at things that, that make us nervous and a lot of people just shy away from that you know and mm -hmm. we say okay so like you know walking to the edge of the cliff instead of like facing a fear of looking over the cliff we just back away and we're like no nah, I'm cool 
like I'm close enough. You know, I can I can see the edge of the cliff and I can yeah. see the other side of the valley. Mm-hmm. And that's good enough. It's all going to look the same. But yeah. but certain personalities can say, okay, like this is terrifying. Yeah. I am going to run this half marathon, but I'm deathly afraid of it. But you can turn it around and say, because I'm deathly afraid of this, I know it's something I need to do. And I will get myself through it. Where does that come from? Uh, I think my dad was a big influence on that. He's very, like, you set your mind to something. If you start something, you're going to finish it. Now, that being said, you know, there are certainly plenty of things that I wouldn't do or, you know, just aren't necessarily an interest. But I think when you're selective about the things that challenge you or make you nervous, I think it's also sometimes the same experience or feeling on the inside that nervous is also excitement Mm -hmm. or nervous just means that it's uncharted territory Mm -hmm. or you don't necessarily know how you're going to do or respond or deal with it or perform in any area of of life but sometimes that can be a good thing to just kind of test yourself Um, and the other way I think about it is that you know regardless of anything that you or anybody has been through in your life most of the time the things that are the hardest experiences or the things that lead you to being the most uncomfortable if you reflect after that's when you learned the most that's when you can grow the most you know growing pains is a big term in my mind that when you're uncomfortable and when you're growing it's going to be outside your comfort zone it's not always going to be um you know something that is in your wheelhouse because then it feels safe and it feels comfortable and and that's okay so I think just kind of understanding that sometimes when you are uncomfortable, it's, it's an opportunity to step outside of your norm or step outside of yourself and just take a chance. And sometimes those chances are little and tiny, and sometimes they're big and you don't know. And I think you just kind of have to keep going. None of us really know what we're doing. Yeah. You know, you just kind of have to make the best decision based on what you know today and, and decide what calculated risk or sometimes lack of thought to kind of move forward and take that risk and John I would say is super supportive in that because sometimes even now I'm like I have moments of freak out right before we started the podcast he said like he's the he's the idea man and I I think I said I'm the worrier yeah (laughs) so which is a good balance yeah well and I also think you know you you guys are it's I think your thought process on like the risks and stuff like that, I think you both um, look at it the same way. You know, this example would be running and, you know, the other example could probably be the gene company, mm-hmm. you know. Absolutely. Um, so before we go back to the gene company, so, John, you moved back to Syracuse. Mm-hmm. And then what was your next step when you came back here? And what was your – were you – what brought – why did you come back to Syracuse? Just to – did you want to come back or was it just that – family? Okay. Yeah, I mean, I I loved Richmond. I met a ton of great people down there who I'm still friends with, and you know, I I don't have a huge family, pretty small family, but um, just tight knit. Yeah. So. Hang on one So, uh, moved back for family. I have a pretty small family, but we're, we're pretty tight-knit. And actually, we live right, literally right next door now. 
to my parents. Oh, really? Yeah, we bought my grandmother's old house and renovated that, and now it's, I don't even know, it's like a little compound. feet, you know, across. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's less than 100 steps door yeah. to door. Wow. To yeah. measure it. We have a lot of <laughs> land back there, so it's, it's pretty cool. So I yeah. moved back for, for partly because of, okay, recession, this is an opportunity to now, do I want to keep doing this thing or do I want to go do this other thing? And, you know, whether it's a good habit, sometimes a good habit, sometimes a bad habit that I have of jumping from one thing to the next because I get excited about something new. So that's where I was saying that I, I probably could have stuck with the new fit and been the, whatever, king of online personal training at this point. But it, it just, at the time, it wasn't wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Like, I just didn't. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to do this thing. And so uh, I moved back. Uh, I went back to school for pre-med, got all the crappy courses out of the way, physics and chemistry, and then did some shadowing at ER, uh, some some uh, ER offices or uh, offices, whatever. Like the prompt cares? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And um, just decided or realized, like, hey, you know, six more years of medical school is not, it's not for me. So tried that, then migrated back into fitness um, and worked for a local fitness facility here, Trillium Fitness. And, you know, all of these pieces definitely helped to shape who I am as an entrepreneur because at Trillium, it was a really good opportunity for me because I started out as just a personal trainer there. Um, You know, I needed work and I, I needed to do something here. And then the uh, the owner of that facility is a there was there's two sisters one of them it was a, is a very successful businesswoman here locally um, and now nationally but uh, you know she had started to groom me to take over the facility mm. as a manager to to help her sister who wanted to kind of get out of the day to day and and so I started to do that and learned a lot about managing and running and owning a physical location gym you know for the most part Mm -hmm. so i learned a little bit in richmond i learned a lot more here um then the next to bring us to today the thing that kind of brought me out of trillium and uh is what was my day job i guess you'll call it today um i started to experiment outside of that job with a youtube show and the youtube show was called project rock city Caught a couple episodes. Did of you? It. Good. Yeah, good. I was just going to tell you. Yeah. Google that. Best in listening. Thai. Yeah. yeah. Right. Uh, Project Rock City was not like rock, like Rochester here locally for us, but like rock, like rock and roll, like you know, let's basically let's rock and roll is mm-hmm. where I got that from, right? So it was a project, and Rock City was just our way of going around and finding fun places that people migrated to and then highlighting what made them great so a lot of restaurants a lot of bars music venues um events you know that would go on annually things like that and it was totally just an experimentation and when was this was 2012 ish uh yeah i i don't 2011 2012. so youtube was still pretty new then yeah i don't even know if it was bought by google yet yeah was, i don't think so that's yeah it was if it had been, it was relatively yeah. recently. Okay. And, you know, it was it was a very similar to the the new fit. I mean, it was just kind of like, you know, the new fit was one of the first online personal training companies that that I had seen. I hadn't seen any other at the time. Uh, this was definitely not one of the first YouTube shows, but it was very early on, right? Mm-hmm. And so, 
it didn't have any crazy national success because it wasn't really that style show because it was all local places. So nobody in California would know or really care right. too much about something yeah. here in Syracuse or in Rochester. Um, but it was just a way to get some creative outlet. And I brought on a, a partner in the project who did all the filming and I was the host of the show. That show basically just turned into a marketing company because people started locally here in Syracuse started to see the show and ask if we could go out and either f- feature their business and then that moved into doing mm. video production and then that moved into website development and it just kept growing to where it is today and, and now we're a, a international actually we have international clients oh, wow. uh, we're all remote so we're a, we're we don't actually have a physical location anymore and that's Good Monster Good Monster is the name of the company yeah and uh, you know, we have freelancers from all over the world. Um, we have a kind of core, core group of people here that manage all the accounts, and uh, it's great. Wow. Yeah, here we are. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, to go from fitness yeah. and then to just do something fun on YouTube and then have it grow locally here in Syracuse, it kind of blossomed from this, and then mm-hmm. your work just started to get spread. Yeah. It goes back to what I said. It's Whatever you want to call it, right? Luck or opportunity or carpe diem or whatever. It's anything that any project that I've moved into has been not something that I forced, right? It wasn't, and I think that's where a lot of, I used to do some entrepreneurship counseling at Syracuse University here. And I'd say 99% of the students were, trying to force an idea. Now, that was usually part of a class or something, so they kind of had to do it for a project. But it was always such an uphill battle because you're, you know, you get, okay, I thought I thought of an idea, and I'm going to write it down, and then I'm going to write a business plan for it, and then I'm going to go try to make it happen. And you get, you know, it's an uphill battle to make that thing valid or validate that idea somehow um, because you have to, you have to, have the absolute perfect idea in the perfect industry at the perfect time to make that idea that you came up with valid, right? So I'm not saying it can't be done. I mean, people probably do it every day. It's just, I just never had to do that. I got it a little bit easier of things that fell into my lap that I just recognized as an opportunity. You know, with Project Rock City, I'll tell you exactly how that happened. I saw one of my brother's best friends from when he was a kid. I mean, I'm talking like five or six. Like, I hadn't seen this guy for whatever. Now he's 37 years old. And I just happened to recognize him. And saw him and I was like, holy crap. Like, great to see you, man. I haven't seen you in literally 25 years. And it just so happens he was a videographer. And I was like, yeah, man, I, I, I'm in this company now. And I'd love to do this and that. And, you know, a couple beers. And, you know, you just get rolling in conversation. And, uh... We just came up with the project, and we're like, yeah, this totally fits. This would be a cool thing to do. Let's do it. And we just did it. You know, it wasn't anything where I was, like, sitting down and, like, oh, man, I want to do this thing, and, like, what should I do? Which, in that respect, I think I've gotten lucky, you know? And whether it's been just me recognizing it and being lucky to have that ability to recognize it or not, th- that's always how I've, I've moved on to a new project. No, but it seems like with the gene situation, you weren't just walking down the street. I mean, you knew that there was, a, there was for both of you guys, you said, okay, like, there's 
at least for us, there's a problem. And we assume that if there's a problem for us, there's a problem for other people. And you do surround yourself, your sphere of influence around you, for the most part, are fit people or fit-minded people. But nonetheless, this is not a situation where you're walking down the street and somebody says, oh, you're promoting this? Well, promote me too. And then, oh, you're, if you're going to promote my, my business, then I need to have my Instagram account beefed up. And then this is a situation where you guys are sitting down and you are saying, here's our idea, here's our business plan, and here's how we're going to make it happen. So this seems to be slightly different mm -hmm. than other ventures that you guys have gone into. So explain to me, like, the thought process behind this, because you are, a, I mean, you're not, you're not inventing blue jeans. You know, right. they've been invented. You're just coming out with a different style of them and a different material and different things. But again, not reinventing the wheel. So what's, this is very different than what you've done in the past. So ex explain what's happening here. What's happening, Lindsay? <laughs> <laughs> we don't even know what's happening. That's, yeah, I mean, that's kind of like the thing. Is but, that, but I guess my point, yeah. that's exactly it. But you're, yeah. so now just like with the students that sit down at SU, mm -hmm. You've done the you've done the textbook part of it, I presume. Mm -hmm. I mean, I presume there's some level of a business plan, mm -hmm. whether it's like a 30 page thing or it's the front and back. That of That didn't a, come till much later, though. So I, okay, I do, so that's I do where I want to say that because I think that's important. Yeah. So explain. Tell me how this is all happening. Uh, so it was very uh, <coughs> gut feeling, I guess, in the beginning, right? It, it was it was very. Okay, Lindsay said you should just do it. Like, you know, you should do this. And then I don't know, maybe a couple of days went by, and I was like, you should do it with me. Yeah. <laughs> and and we actually just had our two-year business anniversary. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. He had basically just said like, well, you're you're just as passionate about this as I am. You keep bringing this up. You keep telling me I should do this. Do you want to do it together? And so I think beyond that, it was a lot of just like. Initially, I think it was a lot of asking questions and looking into it. And does this product already exist? Is there a brand that we don't even know about? And yes, there are a couple of brands. Um, but more like the more we got into Google and looking into the process and kind of, I don't know, just looking at like, well, if we were hypothetically going to do it, like what would we change? And so I think at least initially when we started kind of going down that little bit of a road, it was a lot of asking questions and then thinking of, hypothetically, how would we do it? What would we change? What do we need to know? Because this is a completely, completely, other than some John having some, some that business type experience or having that business mindset, it's a product-based company, which we have yeah. no experience in. Right. I have never owned or been part of my own business before, so I'm completely a fish out of water, or at least initially, that's I had no reference point. Um, but I think it's a lot of just asking questions and figuring out what you don't know and then going and getting the information. Yeah, right? I mean, so we like, live in the age of the Internet. I mean, there's literally almost – there's nothing you can't learn on the Internet. Right, so but you also – but there. But what I'm finding in, in my research for what I'm working on is uh, you. there's also a lot of things that Google doesn't cover that – isn't on the internet, or you get, you know, one person says the blue jeans need to be red, and the, you know, or five people say that, and seven people say, well, no, they need to be green. So that's the next level, right? So we yeah. started, you know, you, you, I mean, you, you can find the, 
beginning of anything on the internet, right? Like you said, and then you have to kind of validate. So we looked on the we looked on Google. We looked at all the competition. We saw you know the other companies out there. Uh, there's like you said, there's two main main uh, competitors of of ours, and you have uh, one's called Barbell Denim and one one's called Fran Denim, and you know we just we looked at them and me coming from a brand background, I just thought like, hey, there's room for improvement on multiple levels here, right? There's something that we can offer that that they're currently not. Now, did hitting. you buy their product? Like, did you have you purchased their product to put it on and like try it out or nope. no? Okay, no. okay. We went too fast for that. Okay. <laughs> so. That's true. <laughs> so you know, we we did try on some of the bigger names, the more mainstream names. So, you know, like Hudson Jeans and Page Denim. I mean, these are like national, you go to Lord & Taylor. But Macy's not geared towards fit people. Right. Stretch Denim. Yeah, sure. Yeah. <clears throat> like you wear out to a nice denim. Right. Mm-hmm. So, quite frankly, at the time, we were thinking beyond those other two, we weren't thinking of going into the CrossFit space. We were thinking of, of how do we make a much bigger company that – caters to a more basically how do we piggyback on this crossfit spin class you know soul cycle fitness generation Mm -hmm. and all of them wanting to strive to become more healthy and more fit and Mm -hmm. better how do we piggyback on that growth because we're very much in it and how do we create a company uh, a gene company to help ride that wave and pull them along with us right so we weren't really thinking into the hardcore kind of CrossFit weightlifting space at that particular time. So I, I think that's one of the reasons why we didn't go out and actually try their product on. Okay. We wanted to see what was much more popular. Okay. What are the bigger businesses doing and what do they fit like and how do we, you know, compete with them? So, uh, you know, Joe's Jeans was another one we, we, we ended up buying. And, uh, so it, 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 it just kind of evolved from, okay, looking up on the Internet who the competitors are. Then we found a website called Makers Row where it's basically apparel. They connect people with factories and resources and fabric textile mills and things like that. And uh, went on there and just found different companies and then called them up one by one. We had meetings with, Mm -hmm. I don't know, 10, 15 different apparel manufacturers around the country. Uh, You know, then that led to us, okay, picking one, and then we worked with that one for the next year and a half, developing our products, going back and forth, learning about fabrics and stitching and just everything you could possibly think about, every corner of Denim Manufacturing, which there are a lot of corners, mm-hmm. uh, and, and it just kind of snowballed from there. Um, how long did you guys – sorry to cut you off. That's okay. How long did you guys mm-hmm. spend in this research phase that we're talking about now? Uh, a year? Yeah, a year and a half. Yeah. year and, year and, half? and a half? Wow. Oh, yeah. But I, I think it's also important, like, we were also researching and educating ourselves, like, while we were in in the process of developing the product with, you know, the manufacturer, whether it was picking and selecting our denim, looking at the colors that we wanted, you know, making the pattern. And I think when we didn't know something, it was a lot of, like, researching and figuring out as we went because you don't know what you don't know until you, you realize don't you it. don't know yeah. it. Yeah. So I think every step along the way, and that's still true now, just trying to think, okay, so if we don't know that and we need to know that, well, then we need to 
educate ourselves and figure it out. And so, yeah, it was about a year and a half, maybe maybe even two years or continuously because <laughs> we're still doing it now. And, and that's probably going to be a lifelong process. What, at what point did the first grouping of genes like start to get made? Like how long ago was that? So the way denim manufa- gene manufacturing works is that it, you know, you, you have to, you have to create a pattern first. Who did that? Because again, like it's all done out of a company in, in LA mm-hmm. that one of those 15 companies that we interviewed around the country, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of different pieces to apparel manufacturing, you know, right? There's the fabrics, there's the cutters, there's the sewers, there's the dye, dye or the wash house. There's, you know, so there's, there's different facets and then there's apparel, um, consultants, companies, you know, I guess you can say that help to kind of piece these things together. And you guys knew none of this before you started. Zero. So every time you talk to somebody, then it's like, Mm -hmm. okay, so we've got this part done. Have you talked to your dyer? And you're like, what? Mm -hmm. The dyer? Oh, and then we we got to talk to this. We ended up going to a company that helped to do all of that for us, which is one of the reasons why we picked that company. Okay. And did they, um, so you've got, was that the same company that did this, the pattern, like the drawings, I'm assuming, but is that what you're talking about? Yeah, I'm pretty sure they, they have a partner, right? So it's... You know, they don't do that in-house, but they have a partner in L.A. that then they say, okay, I'm going to send send this to my pattern maker. They'll bring it back, and then we'll confirm it, right? Uh, you know, and by the way, their pattern maker is literally probably one or two people. You know, yeah. I mean, it's 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 kind of like with Good Monster, we work with freelancers. Yeah. I think they pull those people Same together. Thing. Yeah. How many times during this process where, like, you would turn one corner, you're like, cool, home stretch, and then somebody's like, no, you've got the pocket maker and then it's like no you need the button maker was there ever a point where you guys were like okay like it didn't really go like that it went more like like okay yeah we'll make your pattern and then we'll send it out and then if all looks good just send it back and we'll do it and they'd send it out and it wouldn't be right and then so we'd Email the changes, mark them on the genes, send them back. Like the actual physical genes? Like they would yeah. actually sew them yeah. and yeah. send you a pair of the genes? Yeah, it's okay. called a sample. So that's okay. the sample-making process, okay. right? And, and I think in the beginning... Are you paying for those through this whole process? Yeah, it's usually... Uh, or is it part of like a contract? Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to get... No, no. Okay. So, so it varies from company to company. One company we interviewed was like, oh, yeah, it's, I don't know, $30,000, and we'll do all of this stuff. Is that right? Something like that. And we'll do all of the stuff for you, and it includes this many rounds of sampling and this much stuff mm-hmm. and this much stuff. And we were like, "Well, you know, they just threw a big number at us, and we're like, okay, what, you know, is that cookie cutter, or what if we're a little different? And then this other one that we started, that we ended up going with, was much more of an a la carte. And so they were just like, yeah, all along the product, like, here's how much a sample will be, here's how much the fabric will be, here's how much this will be, and then when you do your first run, here are the quantity discounts and things like that. So it was, Mm -hmm. they mapped it out, but it was much more a phased approach rather than like, hey, you owe us this much money, and then we'll do all of this for you. So, But with each sample and the bills are mounting, are you guys sitting there like, we've got to get this right? I mean, yeah. Uh, You know, it 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 got much more frustrating because it took so long. So in the okay. beginning, we understood yeah. it was going to be two or three samples. We didn't really realize all the steps that would go into that and how long getting to those two or three samples would take. So how long is it between samples? 
roughly? Uh, Weeks? Month. Months? Yeah. Maybe a month? I, it could. It, it, it varied, depending on what it was, right? Okay. Like, we did a couple of small changes where we, we sent it back, and then he sent it back in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Okay. Um, but then larger run, like, the samples, I guess, didn't take too long back and forth. Right. There was just so many of them. Yeah. yeah. I mean, remember, we're trying, we're, we were literally creating a, you know, we used the base pattern, but then creating it for more of an athletic vibe. Right. So there was a sure. lot of, like, millimeters, you know. Yeah. centimeters that we were trying to yeah get perfect and to be honest like it was a lot of you know just like our own life stuff and educating ourselves and you know other life factors that kind of popped up but we we went through especially for the women's we ended up going through four rounds of sampling adjusting doing different things um over the course of two two years and i'm assuming if you make a pair that's like boot cut versus slim fit it's the same thing. You're just starting over from scratch each time, and then it's the same. you got to figure out the sample, this, that, all the changes. Yeah. Yep. Yep. But yeah. right along, you guys were really convinced that you were, you're were you committed, you're going to do this, and there really weren't many times at which you were like, okay, like we've tried this. We've got other, yeah. we've got other things going on because it's not like your whole mm-hmm. livelihood depended on this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and to, to that point, I mean that <clears throat> two things I think is why it took so long. Number one, that was it. Like Lindsay mentioned, just life stuff. It wasn't super urgent. Okay. And I don't mean that to sound like we weren't thinking about it. It was just like, whatever, financially or whatever, it wasn't like we needed to eat like this thing. So it was much more important, at least for me, I can't speak for Lindsay, but for me to understand how all of the pieces worked uh, before we made this like go all in and mm-hmm. move forward at, you know, lightning pace. Yeah. So to understand yeah. how, like, what would they are doing out there in L.A. and why they're doing it and why this is happening and why that's happening and how, you know, it was very important to learn all of that, which is mm-hmm. maybe 50% of why it took so long. Uh, and then the other, you know, 50% was was apparel manufacturing is just slow. Yeah. It's yeah. just an old school. I mean, th- now we're learning there's much... There's a lot of technology coming into it, just like every other industry, but it's just on the manufacturing level. I mean, it's just slow. Yeah. It's just, you know, there, there's no technology, and it's just you just gotta wait. Yeah. Right. Do you guys have investors in the company, or has it just been you guys doing it and doing it on your own? Just us. Just us. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. And that's also a huge <laughs> sense of pride. Because you probably could have. I mean, I'm sure you know people that you could have said, hey, we've got this company, you know, we want to get it up and running. And I'm sure you have plenty of people that would have invested money in you. But you guys have chosen just to do it at a pace at which you can afford, Mm -hmm. I'm assuming, Mm -hmm. and then do it so that you guys are the ones that are solely making the decisions. Was that strategically done? Um, I don't know that we actually – well, I guess it was. Yeah. Like like you said, in the beginning it wasn't – necessarily that we were casual or flippant about it. We weren't taking huge breaks where we weren't talking or thinking about it. At the same time, we did have all these other life things. We didn't, this wasn't our only sole source of, you know, company or income or things like that. Um, and it did start out as, you know, a passion project that we had full intention on developing and making into a business. Um, and with the manufacturing 
process being really slow, but also I think we did a good job of learning along the way and also challenging, you know, when the manufacturer would say to us, well, this is how we do it and you need to understand. And we would kind of say like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Like we want to change it and we want to do it different, you know, because that just doesn't make any sense. So I think that that was an important part, but when you got through those parts, like when you've got a quote unquote expert, in their field, I'm assuming, telling you that, no, this is how you should do it. When you got through that, did you look back on it and say, okay, that made sense? Or do you still look back on it and say, wow, this could totally be done so much better? I think both. Okay. I think both. And when when they would say, anybody would say, like, well, you should do it because of this, I think both of us would challenge that with the intention of learning. Were people open to – that was going to be one of my other questions. Were the people you were talking to, were they open to your challenge? Or were they like, okay, it's naughty little kids. You don't know what you're talking about. Go back to Syracuse. I mean, they've never said that, but I get that. You could get the tone from them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's probably more than that. Okay. Yeah. Right. I mean. Like, this is the way it goes. You know, and and they would, you know, uh, they would give us a lot of that, but we push back pretty hard at the same time. Yeah. So, you know, we've met in the middle on a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. You know, some things, maybe we just pushed hard and they're literally not possible and then we found that out right okay uh, and sometimes you know and then they would say like listen you just can't do that here's why right. um you know in theory that might work but here's here's why so okay. us mm-hmm. being and i love it by the way like i love not coming from a apparel background because we can ask all these questions where right maybe a few of the you know two of the 10 things that we wanted to do were done because we were ignorant and, and didn't know any better. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, I think that leads us to where we are today. And, and you know, this podcast we're, we're recording is at, at a really pivotal time for us where, you know, you mentioned a lot of investment and things like that. And so we're at the point now where, you know, the next year are going to be very different for us. You know, we spent the first two years doing it ourselves, learning everything we possibly could, tripping, getting back up, falling. I mean... You know, we've had lots of discussions where we just don't know what we're doing and trying to figure it out. And now, as a couple, though, <laughs> how is I'm not, I don't want, I don't need personal details, but yeah. I mean, how I mean, a couples and you guys are still sitting here, so I know what the answer <laughs> to this, and I know you guys, so I know what the answer to this question is. But Barely. but yeah, <laughs> it doesn't seem that way. But couples would either, you know, um, which we see a lot these days, just take the easy way out and say like, forget you. Or they're going to come together more and say, okay, like, we both need to come to some understanding here and learn how to work as a team and know that, like, John, you're not going to get your full way. We're going to have to meet, maybe not in the middle all the time, but 75, 25 or something mm-hmm. like that. That's a tough yeah. That's a tough thing, but it's, yeah. I think for some couples who can not take it all so personally, it can be a huge growing experience. But I'm glad you brought up the tripping and falling and getting back up because that's huge. Yeah. Yeah. So I definitely, I, we have had a number of conversations that haven't been smooth and haven't been easy and haven't been, you know, us agreeing all the time or getting along super well, like we are in this very convenient podcast Mm -hmm. or, you know, it's, it's been a lot of, you know, kind of like I was talking about before, like some, sometimes uncomfortable conversations and leading to those grower pains have helped our like communication and okay. how we talk about 
ideas and strategies and approaches and and it definitely hasn't been easy but I think it's it's definitely strengthened us as you know a couple but also as a business to kind of realize like we don't know what we're doing and the only two people that we need to really worry about or worry about first and foremost are each other because that's the only way that we're gonna kind of be able to keep going or be able to make this successful yeah regardless of whatever we set our minds to and whatever this company decides to kind of take on in any directions we go in the future you know now it's jeans but i think like john was specific earlier when we said like we wanted to start a company yeah that our first product is jeans not you know we're a jeans company got it it. so how uh, what was how big was the first run of jeans that you did and how scary was that when that order got placed because again you're pulling this all out of your pocket and now you're stuck with inventory. Yeah. And and you guys yeah. love it, but you it's don't know. You know what I mean? So how? So what? Uh, what was the feeling of that? And like how? What was the first run like? Uh, I think I was pretty two, nauseous. Two hundred fifty. <laughs> two fifty. I think total between pairs. men's and women's. Right. No. Oh, two fifty no. each. Each. Yeah. So five hundred. They oh. were they kind of put in separately. Okay. We did men's first. We were going to do women's at the same time, but then women's took so long. Okay. Because. Girls like their jeans to fit. Right. Guys are a little bit easier to please. They can be a little looser. Even today when we're having guys try out jeans on, they're like, yeah, they're good. And we look at them and we're like, no, those are a size too big. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Whereas girls are like, you know, do you have one, do you, do you guys sell in between sizes? Do you sell half sizes, right? Like, yeah. so it's, it's a much bigger challenge. Yeah. And so yeah. we did a lot more work on the women's jeans. So 250 men's jeans came in and then... It took a while. I don't know, like six months later. You know, this is what really... This, yeah. I forgot. Like, this is actually one of the reasons why it took so long, too, is that then we had to work on the women's jeans, and then the women's jeans came in, and then we were like... Then we were off to the races. Right? Okay. Then we did a, a, mm-hmm. a, a lot more social media stuff and, and content production, and then we started to put out more of that. Then we started to schedule events. Did you start just selling on the internet? Yeah. Yeah, we we started we started very slow. Also, we you know the first couple samples I brought into CrossFit Syracuse and had uh, you know a couple of the coaches there try on. What would you think about them? Mm-hmm. Uh, then I had had some of the the more fit girls in the gym try them on. Some of the more curvy girls to see how that waistband mm-hmm. fit. And that's when you know okay we got to taper them in a little bit. And then we sent them back. And so we did a lot of that up front as as market research. Uh, and then, then we put in the full order based on that kind of limited feedback. Uh, and then we started to partner with some other brands in the fitness CrossFit space to do like giveaways to try to tap into their audience a little bit. What were some of those? Uh, uh, our first one was Tango Charlie, great great guy Tom um, uh, out of Rochester. Here they they're basically. A, Mostly a t-shirt company, mm-hmm. but uh, are you familiar with them? Yes, yeah, sweatpants, oh, okay. sweatshirts, okay. Yeah, yeah, t-shirts, yeah. yeah, yeah. Comfy, comfy stuff. Yeah, I've, I, I have a few of their pairs, pairs of their socks, and I used to have a couple t-shirts, but I've worn through them. So. Nice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they're good stuff. Yeah. They're, you want to wear them every day. But uh, we partnered with them. Um, they were great. We ran a, a, a cool giveaway, an outfitting greatness giveaway, basically, is what we named it. Uh, and then another one, Born Primitive, is another good-sized company in the CrossFit-specific space. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do like women's sp- sports bras, okay. um, like CrossFit gear and shorts and things like that. 
Uh, and then we just we it was it wasn't about sales. It was all about brand. Okay. Just getting people, and it still is. To be honest with you, you know, we're not. We just launched in December. Yep. Of this past year, so you know, our goal still isn't like selling jeans. It's about getting. It's a about the brand and b about getting people in the jeans. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Me being being a marketer from a with, with digital marketing as a background, it's very easy for me to default to like, oh, we got to do videos and we got to do podcasts and we have to do all this stuff. And ask her, I talk about it every day. Yeah. But it's that's that comes a little bit later after we've gotten a thousand people into the jeans and eight hundred of them saying they love them. Yeah. You know, then we can build out upon that. Um, but I think we're we're at that, we're at the like go button time period right now where, yeah. you know, literally when you shut these podcasts, the, the stop button on this podcast, like we have quite a bit of work that we're, we're working yeah. through and, um, some really exciting things that we can't really talk about yeah. right now, but it taps into what you were yeah. mentioning a little bit earlier and taps into what we're talking about, <clears throat> about growing the brand, um, to putting us into more, much more of a national and an international spotlight. So yeah. it'll be well, exciting. I can't, yeah. I can't wait to hear about it. Okay, so but tell us about the things that are kind of coming next for you guys that you can talk about. Mm-hmm. So you're, you you can purchase on your website, mm-hmm. yep. and that is? JJForThePeople.com. Okay. You're, if you're in the Syracuse area, the men's jeans can be purchased at American Reserve. Yep. yep. Are the women's jeans available for purchase in any stores locally? They. Or is that something you can't discuss right now? Uh, I don't think I'll care. Okay. I, yeah, I think they this should be the exclusive. Yeah, they should. Okay. They should be available at the same place shortly. At American Reserve. Yeah. Oh, so the women's and the men's. Yeah. Okay. All right. And um, if you haven't listened to that episode of the podcast, that's Cliff Carey. Go back and check that one out. But yeah. we'll put a link to the, his website again Absolutely. on your show notes here. Yep. So that's super exciting. And then you've got the whole Fit Tour coming up. Yeah. Yes. So describe, tell us what's going on with that. Yeah. So we um, have officially launched. CrossFit Syracuse was our first, and it was um, a wonderful, amazing success. It was really great to kind of spend so much time with the CrossFitters at CrossFit Syracuse and be a part of that community that is our home box. So that was really kind of special, I think, to start there. Um, But that officially launched our CrossFit um, Fit Sessions Tour around America. So we're going to be going around to different CrossFit boxes, setting up our booth, which John built himself. Oh, handyman. (laughs) What doesn't this guy do? Yeah, nothing. A geek out on building stuff. Yeah. (laughs) I think they call you the Renaissance man. Hey. Isn't that what that is? You do, at least. Just a jack jack of all (laughs) trades. I'll take it. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, we're going to be doing CrossFit um, or fit sessions um, at CrossFit uh, boxes all over, just try to get people in front of the jeans, get them in them, give people a chance to feel them and feel the quality. And, um, you know, we, we really are excited about the fact that the jeans are finally here. They're 100% American made, which, which is, is awesome. Super important to us. I think that was one of our very, very lofty goals to start with. And, you know, like we've kind of talked about throughout this whole theme today is, you start with one kind of goal in mind or you start with this vision and, you know, as you keep going, you don't really know how much is going to change or, you know, where the road's going to take you, but you're going to try to make 
and make it happen and accomplish as much as you can. And that's one thing that we've been able to hold ourselves ourselves true to to stay 100% American made and that's probably why it took a little bit longer but we're really excited about it and and the Fit Sessions tour is going to be super exciting just to kind of give people that chance to try them on and and see what it is that we're so passionate about. Yeah and they can customize like we can take their inseam lengths there yeah and you know we actually do we have a workshop here in Syracuse where you actually do the custom lengths Okay. Um, so at these fit sessions, we'll, we actually measure people's inseams. Because yep. that's always been a problem for me is I go and I buy like a nice expensive pair of jeans and they fit really great, but they're too long. But then when you get them tailored, it screws them all up. And they're always, they're always uh, the same length. It's something, this is one thing that we still don't get is that all these premium, you know, $300 pair of jeans, yeah. they don't. They're in one length. Yeah, it's like you buy a thirty-six and waist and it's the same, and you have to get them tailored. And then it's you, you pay $200, $150, 200 three hundred dollars for a pair of jeans, and mm-hmm. then you go and sure yeah. the store offers free tailoring, but then they come back and then then they never fit right. Right. Yeah. Because they got cut up into your your calf leg. It's weird. Right. Right. So another and example of a small thing that we're trying, like we felt like we could just do a better job. Right. Right. Okay. And that's why I think. You know, getting the jeans on people and in front of people was, I think, really good because we want to establish those one-to-one relationships with every person we meet as much as as possible. Um, Names might escape us, but we want to make it happen. And I think having it be a fit session is so that we have that one-on-one experience. We're personally measuring the person that has the jeans on. When there is a pair of jeans on a guy and they're like, oh, yeah, no, they're good. Like we're giving them feedback, like no, let's, let's try you in a smaller size. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, don't don't settle. You know, yeah. we really want you to have every single person have the perfect, best fitting jeans yeah. for them. Man, this is just so cool. Um, okay, so as we wrap up, um, kind of putting you guys on the spot a little bit here, but what are? I guess I would say maybe just give a piece of advice because you both kind of like we talked about earlier come from this from different perspectives. Lindsay's pretty new into the whole entrepreneurship thing, and John's been doing it. You know, you've had a few different businesses, some successful, some didn't work out. So could you give a a piece of advice on people that are looking, that have a thought, that are looking to start a new business? And then maybe if there's also something, and this could have nothing to do with anything that we've talked about tonight, but just something you would recommend to people to do, to read, to eat, to whatever, just something you would recommend to the people that are listening. Yeah, that's a great, good two questions. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. No, that's okay. I, I would say, you know, when it comes to, like, advice or any type of something to that I would say to other people is to just try like, just try something or put something out there to, to test what it is that your idea is. And, you know, even if that's outside of your norm or your realm or regardless of what other people are going to think, you know, it's always good to try different things and to give yourself, you know, a, a, either a creative space or a creative outlet. You know, doing something different is is a good thing. And I think sometimes we're, our instinct is like, well, if it's different, like, then I'm I shouldn't do it or I'm doing something wrong or it's not going to work. You know, we're so doubtful or we're so skeptical, myself included, you know, and I think that's something that I've, I've learned a lot about, you know, no one decides for you, but you, so you don't stand in your own way. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I'd go, yeah, actually right along with that because you know, it's, 
look at Project Rock City that I did, right? Like, that was just a thing that we did. I mean, it was just a, a like, just some step moving forward of, like, a creative outlet, you know? So if, if somebody out there is, and, and you mentioned yourself, of trying to move forward and trying to, come, you know, create an idea, um, I personally wouldn't suggest trying to make the perfect business plan, business idea, and then moving forward. I would try to find some things that you could be passionate about or are passionate about and then just figure out a way like this podcast, right? Just figure out a way to, to, in fact, this is probably one of the best things for you personally because you get to meet all these people and learn all this stuff at the same time versus going and watching a video on YouTube. And it's a little self-serving. Good. Good. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. Be be selfish. Like do your own thing. I mean, whether it's this or I have a good friend who loved hiking, loved nature, started a website just out of a passion, just like to like doing it, like blogging about it, like doing photography. And today that's his full-time job. He left his other job because he got so many fans of nature and photography and hiking and exploring the peaks in New York and Colorado. And now he had, he sells t-shirts and Mm. he sells maps and programs and, just all this stuff, and he does it full time and makes a better living than he did before. And it, he didn't set out trying to do that. He set out trying to find an outlet, right? So I would back up what Lindsay said and just do. In fact, like that's actually that's funny. That's if you look at the inside of our jeans, it says hashtag Do More Now with an American <laughs> flag right yeah. on the waistband because yeah. that's kind of our the the ethos of the brand mm-hmm. is like just do right. Yeah. Um, not to be confused with just do it. Yeah. No, we so. don't want any. Uh, <laughs> we don't want any like uh, trademark issues. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's be very clear about that. Yeah. But yeah, I mean that's that's the biggest piece of advice because everyone you're going to have your own self doubt. You're going to have people that say like, "No, nah, that's not a good idea." Yeah. So if you just go out and you start to do things, whether it's like I love building stuff, yeah. right? Like if I wasn't doing all of this, I don't know. Maybe I'd be doing like construction jobs on the side and and we have a good friend i think you know michael who uh monetero oh yeah 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 who perfect example yeah right i know perfect example yeah salt city fab yeah yeah uh just started doing things on the side a couple side jobs and the next thing you know he's full-time so just even if you don't know it could be comic books. It could be YouTube videos. Just it start working It could be music. It. it could be podcasts. It could be jeans. Yeah. There's a million different things. It could be working on cars. Like, just start to do it and then tell other people you're doing it. Yeah. And see where it goes. I like that. Yeah. What about something that you guys would recommend? Is there anything, a product, a place, a place you've been that people need to go and see or do or book? Wreck mm, Lake. <laughs> and we don't want to spoil it. Pretty amazing. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah. The only thing I would say is, like, and this isn't maybe exactly what you're asking, but I'm gonna say it anyway. Okay. Um, I would say, like, the thing you need to, or the thing, the piece of advice I would give people to look at and try is thinking about, you know, if I was gonna surround myself with things that I would find the most inspiring, the most uplifting, the most supportive to maybe the things that I want to explore, like who would those people be? What would those activities look like? You know, if I was going to live my, you know, dream day where I felt the most, 
encouraged and inspired, how can I get myself around those things and those people more often, like joining a different, you know, club or networking or like what you listen to if you listen to podcasts or (coughs) if you, you know, listen to inspirational speakers and the books that you read, you know, the things that you surround yourself with in a multitude of different ways really help set the tone for how inspired and how much you can push your life forward with all the little decisions and all the big decisions that you that you make by what you surround yourself with. I really like that because I'm a big believer in that too. And actually, I wrote down, um, John, was in, it was a news story I found on the internet. And you and this isn't your quote. You acknowledged that. You, did, I, you said you weren't sure where it came from. But you said you're the average of the five people you're around the most. Mm-hmm which I thought was really, like, interesting. I'm like, man, who are those five people? And it's, like, it's kind of true. Like, if you have a core group around you who are positive, inspiring, inspirational people, it just brings it out. And if you're around people that are just negative and down and not really supportive of those people around you, and I've known those people in my life, that's where you end up. Yeah. All right, yeah, Actually, here's, here's a quick tip. You, you said what's one thing that we would suggest – so stemming off of what you just said, I'd watched the documentary about Anthony uh, Johnson, the the British boxer who's now the world champion, heavyweight world champion. Uh, it's on Netflix. Okay. And the reason I would I would go and watch it is because what hit me the most power, powerfully out of that documentary is this is a guy who's super young, wrote rose in the boxing ranks really fast, so much incredible pressure on him. And throughout this entire documentary and throughout this entire thing, he's just laughing and giggling and having fun with his friends and his trainer. And, like, that's kind of one of the things they were talking about is that, like, this is a guy who should be, you know, I don't know if you can believe it, like, shitting his pants. You can say that. he, he He should be, like, what, like, it, it all happened so incredibly fast as well. Like, just so fast. And throughout this whole thing, he's just, he's always just having a good time. And they're talking about, like, all the pressure and everything. And he's like, he's like, yeah, the only hard part is when you're tired. Other than that, like, <laughs> good to know. how could you not love this? Like, so look out for the tired moments. Yeah. <laughs> wow. All yeah. right. Well, I'll, I'll make sure I include that as well. Yeah. And I'll check it out myself. But he surrounds himself with uh, amazing people, and you can you can see how the effect it has. Yeah. yeah. Well, guys, thank you. Thank you. I yeah. really appreciate it, no and um, I love following the Instagram posts. And I'll make sure we put all the Instagram and Facebook, and we'll I'll make sure that's all publicized, and we just get people into these jeans. Fantastic. All right. Check thank you both. Thanks yeah. for having us. our website www.nostalgiachocolates.com and to get some zen in your life visit www.theoyogastudio.com thanks again to john and lindsay www.jjforthepeople.com and as always to soul rising for the music you can find him at soul rising or visit his website www.soulrising.com s-o-l rising.com he can also be found on spotify Thanks again. We'll talk to you soon.